All right, guys, welcome back to Universe Sports Talk, another remote show. Um, I'm also not in Provo this time. Jackson's out in Virginia, and I'm just up in Salt Lake, just uh, a stone's throw away from Provo, visiting some family. But we're back to recap uh, another exciting, albeit somewhat disappointing weekend uh, for BYU Sports. Uh, yeah, Jackson's overall feelings, I guess, coming off that weekend. And well, first of all, tired. I had a yeah. triple header marathon of games to watch because we had the women's game for basketball, then the bowl game and all its emotion, and then the men's game. So, you know, just uh, tired first off, but bittersweet. It's always sad to see a football season end no matter the results. But uh, annoyed, I guess, is my primary, yeah, <laughs> my primary feeling about that bowl game particularly, but. Shout out to men and women's basketball. Both got the dub this weekend. Washington State and Weber State beat two WSUs. So <laughs> winning is winning and beat them authoritatively. Now, football, on the other hand, uh, yeah, that's yeah, you know, no that, bueno. That was, that was rough. So I guess, I mean, we can just kind of get the bad news out of the way first, I guess, and then get, go into some positives, hopefully. Um, but yeah, BYU football um, taking a loss in their last game of the season, bowl game, uh, Independence Bowl against uh Alabama Birmingham um they didn't lead until like was it early third quarter I think it was early third so they UAB started 14-0 yeah and then BYU answered it was 28-10 they went on a 28-10 run so it was yeah so wait is that what it, was? I, 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 it was it was was it the Algier the Algier touchdown the 60 yard one at the beginning of the third or was that to tie the game that was probably to tie and then there was one more after that to get the lead. there was so much in that game i'm kind of having a hard time no it, it really together. was it was i feel like it like really encapsulated like the whole season though honestly because you had like a, an amazing like borderline like transcendent performance from tyler algier to get his record for the single season rushing which was incredible but then at the same time yeah. like defense can't tackle um like you know turnovers can't you know like don't have the energy early try to make a comeback and then it just wasn't Something enough was off, yeah. in previous games it's, it's been enough but it just didn't have the juice against alabama and birmingham of all teams of all teams to not have enough for how, yeah. how this they, they discontinued their football program like five years ago they lost to a team that didn't have a team five years ago like it makes no sense which is why you love college football nine times out of ten, but this is the time that really makes you want to rip your hair out. Um, so, yeah, I, I thinking about it. So, UAB started off 14-zip. BYU goes on a 28-10 run. They're leading 24, 28-24. UAB goes down the field and scores. BYU has a huge fourth and four that they got to pick up. Mason Wake plays the hero again, hurdles the guy, gets the first down. And then very next play, Samson Nakua fumbles it out. He fumbles us out of the game. Yep. Um, Unfortunate, especially because the Sunday night football officials, like the the guy who's in charge of replay or one of their officiating experts, tweeted out that play after the game and confirmed that it should not have been really catched, which yeah. just that's the that's the biggest dagger of them all. So uh, a borderline blown call because, you know, on TV, they mentioned that it was replayed and reviewed, but fans of the game said they never saw the officials put it on headsets. So it's wow. questionable whether the review ever took place based on my bias i'm gonna say that it was never reviewed because yeah. if the sunday night football guy is saying that it wasn't a catch i'm gonna trust my man on sunday night football but 
just a really disappointing way to finish the season. Uh, Got to hand it to UAB. You know, I feel like they, they felt disrespected. They, they kind of picked up on the fact that BYU didn't want to be in that game, that BYU felt better than the Independence Bowl. And, you know, UAB was like, what the heck, man? Like, we're, do not, do not respect us. Do you not think that we can give you a real fight? And they came out, they played angry. And they finished the fight, you know. So Dwayne McBride kind of going mano a mano with Tyler Algier, neck and neck, ultimately finishes. Algier had the better day, I'd say, statistically and whatnot. But at the end of the day, Dwayne McBride won the game. So he did what his team needed at that time. And BYU kept going to the Algier well. He kept delivering. But when they went elsewhere, just couldn't couldn't get it done. No, totally. And it seems like, I don't know, I feel like this isn't the first time we've had this kind of game um, under Kalani Sataki where like he kind of accepts that they didn't come in with the right kind of energy and that they're going to do better next time. But the issue here is there really is no next time until next year. Um, So it's just like a tough situation to be in where like you really had to have the energy and you had to have the motivation, you know, well before going into this. And I think you're spot on like that whole week before or however long it was. And we've since when we found out about the bull, um, it was just kind of a weird energy around the program. And it's kind of like, almost like we were just looking forward to, I mean, next season, but also at the same time, like, Oh, like just wait till we're in the big 12. And so there's a lot of kind of looking ahead um, that, and, and it ended up being looking past and um, didn't bring, you know, the urgency. I feel like that they've brought to some other games. Um, but yeah, overall, just kind of a, a kind of a weird ending to the season. For sure. And, you know, there's a bunch of different factors that kind of came together. Um, stacked up like minimal things obviously nothing to scoff at but also something that you shouldn't completely ignore that kind of piled up all together obviously we we heard reports and we reported earlier in the week that Jaron Hall was in a boot he wasn't practicing his status was questionable and then at game time or just prior to game time uh, Baylor Romney is confirmed as the quarterback to start the game and you know, Baylor didn't have his best stuff. He took his first loss as a starter at BYU. You, you got to think Jaron Hall probably gives the offense a little more juice, um, considering he is the starter. He was playing his best football down the stretch, uh, aside from two interceptions at USC. But nonetheless, yeah. before that, he was he was really on a roll coming off of his injury. Um, so Baylor Romney didn't have his best stuff. And I had heard that he, he had been sick. I think he had COVID a few weeks prior and he had lost a bunch of weight and a bunch of strength. So we weren't seeing Baylor Romney like we had seen him at USF and the first half against Utah state. We were seeing a very depleted Baylor Romney. And so that, that hurts a bit. You're playing without James Empey. You're playing without LaChance. So you're a bit depleted on the offensive line. That's something that they've had to deal with all year. Um, You're playing really depleted on defense. You know, that's, that's the area that hurt them the most playing your second and third stringers on defense which clearly, like I said, you can make excuses all day. But if, if BYU's defense can't get it done against Alabama, Birmingham with their second and third stringers, then the Big 12 is going to be a rude awakening in two years because your depth has got to improve there, which credit to Max Tooley, credit to Ben Bywater, credit to Tyler Batty, all played out of their minds. Tooley got burned a few times, but overall led the team in tackles. Ben Bywater might be the best athlete just overall on that defense. And Tyler Batty exploded for a huge game. I think Batty had one sack going into the bowl game. He had two and a half. He went full Van Noy mode, which was <laughs> fun to see. 
But, you know, the defense, I don't want to get into a Tuiaki debate. I don't want to just – you got to make plays. When was the last time you saw one of our safeties make a play within five yards of the line of scrimmage? Never. It never happens. Hayden Livingston got super lucky on that one interception. He played the ball perfectly. It tipped out of his hands. You know, great play by Hayden. But Mandel got burned to lose the game on the fourth down touchdown. That ultimately won it. Um, you know, Malik Moore couldn't do anything. Chaz Ayu hasn't done anything all year, and he's been hurt since Washington State. So, so that's a complete aspect of your defense that's not showing up at safety. The defensive line got pressured at it against uh, the Blazers. They did their part, but they couldn't stop the run. The linebackers got split all over the field. Um, you really missed Peyton Wilgar and Keenan Peely against the Blazers. Obviously, Bywater and Tooley did, did their part, but just really, just, it's not, those aren't the horses that you want out there against a Big 12 conference opponent in two years. And if, if you're having that trouble against Alabama Birmingham, something's seriously wrong. And, you know, I got to thinking after the game, what, I feel like the defense just doesn't have any culture at BYU, and it never has. Mm-hmm. The offense, BYU's always romanticized the passing game. They've always had, it's about to be running back you with Algier and Tyson Williams and Jamal Williams in the league. Um, you know, offensive linemen are going to the league. They got Taysom Hill and Zach Wilson in the NFL. They, it's been a great offensive team over the past, 30, 40 years, that's what they've romanticized. But now you look at the defensive side of the ball, where where are the athletes on defense? Where's the rah-rah-rah defense talk? There, there's none of that, which is kind of ironic too, because if you look at the most successful players who have come out of BYU who are in the NFL, it's Fred Warner, defense, Kyle Van Hoy, defense, Mike Davis, defense, and Daniel Sorensen, defense. Yep. So for a program that's put so much defensive talent and so much defensive production into the NFL, why on earth are we not hyping up the defense and creating this culture at BYU? Why does it have to happen after the fact? Why Mm. do we have to find out after BYU? Why do we have to find out after he's not at BYU anymore that Fred Warner is an elite linebacker? Why is that not happening when he's here? And so UAB for me was a huge slap in the face to that reality. That defense is getting slept on criminally in Provo and as good as the offense was this year you know Tyler Alger had the great year that he did Puka Nakua is great Jaron Hall did the absolute best job he could have in replacing Zach Wilson and Baylor Romney when he stepped in mid-season but something's got to change on defense and I don't know if that if that has to do with recruiting if that has to do if that's something that needs to be handled internally with the personnel that they have but the culture on defense has to change yeah no totally I remember a couple of years ago um Kalani mentioned that he was taking kind of a more hands-on approach with the defense. Um, and I don't know if that's still the case, um, if he's kind of maintained that. And I imagine with his new contract and the, the increase in funding, I guess, for his staff, that they'll, they'll be bulking up the defensive staff a little bit. And who knows, you know, um, after, seems like after every loss this year, BYU fans have been calling for Tuiaki uh, to be fired. So, I mean, is it within the realm of, within the realm of possibility? Sure. You know, um, you know, will he look for kind of the, the type of upgrade that he got on the offensive side with a Jeff Grimes, right? Does he look for the defensive Jeff, Jeff Grimes? You know, I think that's, it's possible. I don't personally think the two needs to go. I think they can just beef up that staff and kind of prioritize um, development and kind of the, uh, almost like the marketing of their players too, like really make it, make playing defense, you know, attractive, right? 
Um, and it's tough, you know, with the injuries they had this year, obviously, even um, after the game, Max Tooley saying that he um, has some kind of foot or ankle injury that he played through um, in the game. Um, so, you know, a lot of factors going into it for sure. You know, you, you lose a guy like Keenan Peely early in the season, you lose Peyton Wilgar late in the season. Um, it's tough to kind of keep that consistency. Um, and, you know, as, as good as they were, the defense didn't have their version of Tyler Algier, right? Um, and so that's just kind of where things ended at the end of the day. Great to see a, a good performance from Batty to end the season um, after all the hype he had last season. Um, hopefully that can carry into next season as well. Um, but, yeah, it, it kind of seems like now I've seen a, a few guys, you know, post things about, you know, after the season, hey, I'll be back next season. Chaz explaining his injury situation, um, that he's had some hamstring stuff going on, and then it was re-injured just a couple weeks ago, or leading up to this game, I believe. Um, and he's saying he's going to be back. Um, I know we're still waiting on official word from a few players still on whether they'll be back or not. Um, Gunnar Romney, I believe. Lopini Katoa did say he is returning. Um, and Tyrell Algier after the game said he's going to leave leave us waiting until the final second pretty much. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And then you had Shaz tweeting out, like, if we crowdfund $200,000 for an NIL deal for Tyler, he'll stay. So yeah. if that's the asking price, Ryan Smith <laughs> has got two hundred grand in his couch cushions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I personally, for Tyler's sake, just as for him and as an individual and for his career, I hope he declares his stock is never going to be as high as it is right now. And injury-wise, I mean, he's got to be thanking his lucky stars that he was the only weapon on BYU's offense that didn't have any injury trouble. Yeah. Um, obviously, he was spent at the end of USC. But if, if the least, if the smallest injury concern you had for an offensive player was that he was spent at the end of a demanding 12-game schedule where he literally carried the load for most of the time, yeah, I, you would take that every time. So yeah. I hope Tyler goes to the league. He can make – the 200 grand he'd make now is not it's, – it's far inferior to what he would make just going forward if he catches it now. So I, I hope that he does – and now that Lopini's coming back, um, and you know, Hardy Young is a really, yeah. I mean, Peeney's got the Peeney's got the experience. He could come in and help out. Harvey Young is a great personality. He's a guy that running backs in the portal would want to play for, especially seeing what Algiers done these past two years. So BYU is an intriguing candidate for any transfer running back. So Algier leaving is not the end of the world. Um, I personally think Gunnar Romney is going to stay around. I don't think he had the season that he was hoping for to finish out in Provo. I think that he wants something more to end out on and good for good for Gunnar I hope he does stay and I hope Puka stays but you know who knows about Puka he could go to the NFL tomorrow if he wanted to he's got the he's got the measurables he's got the film so we'll we'll be keeping everyone posted on that obviously what we hear and what 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 gets thrown out but just uh really really I I liked what you said about Jeff Grimes uh with that because I feel like going on the defense could really mirror what Grimes did here with the offensive line, where he created this incredible offensive line culture at BYU. I mean, being an O-lineman is the least selfish, least sexy position in all of football. And Grimes came in and he took what was previously a weak spot at BYU and he turned it into one of their biggest strengths where, you know, you look at the 2020 team, their backbone was the offensive line and it allowed Zach to do everything that he did. It allowed Tyler to do everything that he did. The offensive line was what created everything that BYU did on offense last season. And he did that through this incredible culture of glorifying that position 
and glorifying those players and bringing in guys and developing them and working in magic. Then he went to Baylor and did the exact same thing there where they're a top 10 team. They win the big 12. And I don't know if Tuiaki is the guy who can do that on defense or if somebody else needs to come in, that's not up to me. I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to lobby for one side, but they have to do a Jeff Grimes style deep dive into the defense and say, this is, you know, this is, this is our unit. We're going to do what we we're going to do something different here. We're going to build something great. And we're going to have this, we're going to have some swag on defense the way they did with the O-line. And college football is so much about culture. We talked about that, the culture that Kalani Sataki's brought in, the culture within different position groups and whatnot. That's got to change on defense. They got to glorify the defense now because BYU is not going to win these big time games unless the defense steps up and has something more to say, which granted you look at some of these games that BYU did win this season the UVA game was one-off defensive adjustments. The Georgia Southern game was one-off defensive adjustments. Washington State, you know, they've had these wins that have happened because they made adjustments on defense and they made plays. But then when it matters most in the bowl game, where you have a chance to really just put the cherry on top of your season, get ranked in the top 10 at the end of the year, and show the whole college football world that you are not to be messed with, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't deliver. So something's got to change there culture-wise. Yeah, no, totally. Um, well, um, should we should we move on to some uh, some other events that happened on Saturday to turn to some positive news? Um, basketball, <laughs> alive and well. Alive and well, yeah. Uh, women's basketball is nine and one now. Men's team is nine and two. Um, you know that women's win. I don't know if enough people are talking about it because they. They beat the number one team in the Pac-12. BYU just continues to murder the Pac-12 in every sport. Um, so they beat Washington State. Uh, really just good, solid victory at home. They did their part. Washington State clawed back. BYU put it away late. That's kind of been the one Achilles heel that the women's team has had this year is they get lax in certain situations or they they go cold at certain times and allow opponents to come back in and but they always finish it out. They didn't against Oklahoma. Paisley went cold, but just phenomenal game for the women on Saturday morning, or I guess was it morning? It was early afternoon, I guess. I'm, yeah, my time difference is weird. Yeah, but women's team looking good. You know, they get Montana State going on the road tomorrow night, and then they got their little break before heading to conference play with San Diego. I want to say on the 30th. But women's team looking really good. They got a lot of playmakers. They play good defense um high energy just a lot to be excited about on the women's team no definitely and one thing we were chatting about um over text after their game was you know who's kind of the most important player on this team now because i think coming into the season um you know thought probably shaley gonzalez being um kind of the the face of the team that she is um obviously a great talent with her you know dribbling skills and passing skills um, has had some struggles shooting the ball early this season. Um, and then, you know, with it being such an experienced team, you've got those players who have been around forever, so like 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 Paisley, right, as well, like you mentioned. Um, but then also um, Tegan Graham, who has had a fantastic start of the season and kind of a, a new role, I feel like, a little bit. Um, she's been starting the whole season, whereas she came off the bench for most of last season. Um, and she's really kind of been the glue, I feel like, to this team, doing a lot more facilitating um, and then obviously her three, three point shooting has been incredible. Uh, we mentioned last week, the 10, three pointers, 
Um, once again, this week, you know, one of the, the highest scorers on the team. It seems like when she's able to do well, the team does well, in my opinion, almost kind of like that, uh, like a, like you can, she's, she's the, uh, what's, what's the right word? Like, like, like the measuring stick for the team, right? If, if Tegan has a good game, it's yeah. probably a good game for the team. Yeah. Tegan's like the heartbeat of that BYU women's team. Yeah. Uh, I think we can make the argument that Paisley is the best player on the team, but that Tegan is the most important or most valuable player on the team. Uh, Shaylee, for whatever reason, hasn't really gotten into the rhythm that she wants shooting wise struggling from from three which has been surprising considering the success from three that paisley and tegan have had nonetheless she's been a great uh she's been a great offensive weapon just getting to the free throw line uh driving playing good defense but you know she hasn't really taken over the team the way she did her freshman year when they won the conference yeah whereas paisley's exploded she's had she's been kind of the the needle mover on offense she's the one who's scoring the buckets getting them to start their runs or finish their runs, but she, Tegan, I think she, had, know, she had a career high a couple weeks ago or just last career week, high against yeah. against Utah. Yeah, all places, beautiful. which is really interesting because she's had I think this is her fifth season. It's her fifth yeah. season in the program, right? So the women's team beat Utah her freshman year and then lost three straight to the Utes. So it's her last game against Utah for her career. They're going up to the Huntsman Center, never an easy place to play, and she puts up a career high. You know, she said after the game she really wanted that win. She did not want to go out with a loss to Utah, much like, you know, Lopa was telling us a few weeks ago. Yeah. And well, what a way to finish. So Paisley, that, that's what the best player does. The best player goes on and performs in games like that. Now, when Paisley went cold against Oklahoma, she only had seven points. BYU lost by eight in overtime. What did Tegan do? Tegan hit 10 threes. She set a school record for three. She made more threes than Jimmer ever did. So just proving that Tegan is the most valuable player on this team. She's the facilitator. They run the offense through her. She's the one dishing out the most assists. Um, they, they, they run that offense where they kind of they meet Tegan up top and then Paisley and Shaley kind of go around the wing yep. and they either get the open three that they want or they crash down low. They work inside. They got Gustin who's been money on the, uh, on, in the post. Sarah Hampson's coming out of the woodwork. Uh, she had two clutch buckets that started a run. where And then Tegan goes down and hits a three and against Washington State. So they, they have a really nice rotation of seven girls on that team with Maria, Paisley, Shaley, Lauren, Tegan, Sarah, and Emma Calvert. I think that's a really solid seven that they got that they can go through and get some points from, from anyone on that in that rotation. But Tegan, by far the most valuable player on the women's team. Um, I'm surprised, you know, looking back on that debate that we had over Texas, I'm surprised we even had the debate because what Tegan's done consistency-wise from shooting yeah. the basketball, playing defense, and just running the offense has been so important to that team. And um, I think you can make a case that her coming back for the fifth season is more important than Paisley coming back for the fifth season because, Interesting. Yeah. you know, maybe some of these shots that Paisley's taking are the ones that Shaley needs to get into the groove shooting wise, but who's going to run the offense then? But Tegan's yeah. been able to do it all. She's been so important. Really, really excited to see what she does at conference play. And hopefully Shaley gets the shooting together. Uh, down the stretch in WCC and that that big three they have Shaley Paisley Tegan it's hard to find a better trio in college women's basketball so excited to see what they do down the stretch it's been a really fun start to the season triple G <laughs> triple yeah. G's, the no, killer that, G's that's with Gustin yeah which I, 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 I want to talk about Lauren Gustin real quick so she I mean she 
had her first season at BYU, first playing season last year at BYU, breakout player. Um, I think she was like in the running for a newcomer of the year in the WCC. Um, one thing that's really incredible about her is like, she's just so good. At, she's like a natural talent for rebounding. Um, even though she's not like the biggest player out there, Sarah Hampton, for example, is, is obviously much taller. Um, and it's kind of, I kind of compare it to like Caleb Lohner almost a little bit where he's not the biggest guy out there, but it's just like his style of play. Like he knows where to be and has kind of like the athleticism, I guess, to just beat out these bigger players. Um, I've been really impressed with what Lauren's been doing, even when she's not scoring, still getting those rebounds. That's kind of what the men's team has had to ask of Caleb as well is, Hey, even if you, because I mean, we, we harp on him a lot for not really having much of an offensive game, but as long as he's kind of doing that dirty work and still rebounding at a high rate, um, that's still valuable to any team. And I think we've seen that st- be, be valuable to both the men's and the women's teams. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So much of what Lauren Gustin does for BYU isn't showing up on the stat sheet. And when it does, it's at such critical points in the game. So Lauren Gustin, and she can only get better from here. She had a great breakout season last year. Yeah. Um, it's her second season in the program. I feel like she's somebody who's going to keep developing, keep turning into a, a great, reliable weapon for BYU basketball. So really excited for her. As we move, before we move on to the men's team, BYU women's nine and one, five power five victories on the season. Unreal. That's just. So they're, they're yeah. ranked number, they're ranked number 19 right now. And it feels like it should be a lot higher. And I feel like, like it will get much higher. They're, they're a top 15 unit at the very least. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say top 15, top 12, something like that. Um, yeah. When you have, yeah. If, how many other teams have five power five wins in exactly. women's basketball? No one. Yeah. And two of those are ranked wins. They won back-to-back ranked wins. They had back-to-back ranked wins in consecutive days on the road in Florida. That's – you don't do that. So they're 9-1. They're and one. The best women's team BYU ever had was 2013. They started 12-1. and one. I think this year's squad could run that number out of the water. I think you could look at, like, maybe a 15-1 and one start without looking at getting super specific into the scheduling. I think going into women's – going into conference play, they'll, they'll, they'll handle Montana State easily, and then they'll get off and running for WCC play. So really exciting thing happening with Jeff Judkin's squad. Better tune in because it's going to be – man, it's, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna make some noise. For sure. Um, and then transition a little bit to the men's team. We all already mentioned, you know, beat WSU, as in Weber State, uh, over the weekend – um, I unfortunately did not get the chance to watch that game, both because of uh, some family stuff going on, and then also uh, I don't have ESPN Plus. And th- this this streaming stuff's getting a little bit out of control with trying to watch these games. Like whether because if if the game's on ESPN, right? Usually I can watch that. And then over the weekend I had trouble with YouTube TV because they got rid of ESPN, um, but then oh they brought gosh. it back luckily, so I can watch those now. But then you get ESPN Plus, right? So you can't watch the can't always watch those ones. So I guess I just gotta keep we gotta convince the universe to get us some uh, subscriptions to all these services so we can watch these games. <laughs> uh, luckily I did have ESPN plus. So I, did, I got the, get a nice, uh, I got a nice opportunity to watch and I had three main takeaways from that game Four, really. Um, takeaway number one, you know, we, we hit the panic button too early possibly on BYU basketball on the men's team. After the Creighton game, I think everybody was looking in the mirror wondering if this team was really as good as we thought. And, you know, against Weber, who's a really solid team, you know, they're projected to make the NCAA tournament uh, on the road. Playing up there in Ogden is never an easy opportunity. It's an in-state rivalry game. Not, maybe not rivalry, but it's an in-state game. 
they have a long history with Weber State. Um, Damian Lillard came out of there, so who knows? They could always have another Damian Lillard up their sleeve. But uh, <clears throat> we, we talked about Westminster being the get-right game that BYU needed prior to conference play. Maybe Weber State was because it seemed like everything went right for them that game. And now they got to go to Florida or they got to go to Hawaii for the uh, Diamonds. What's, what's a Diamond Head Classic? Yeah, Diamond, Diamond Head, Classic. yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're looking at BYU being the favorite of those eight teams in that tournament after what they did at Weber State. So really impressive job against a, a quality opponent. So really excited that Coach Pope got the team on track there. Takeaway number two, uh, the three-point shooting. They shot like crazy, 61.5% from three. They made 16 three-pointers. Barcelo got hot late. Seneca Knight really got the – he set the tone early. He had the game that really made people understand why he was an all-mountain West Conference player at one point and why he was such an important pickup for BYU out of the transfer portal in the offseason. Uh, so they can shoot the three ball. They're creating shots for each other. They're getting creative. They're spreading the wealth. Nell, Johnson, Marcelo, Knight, everyone's getting in on the fun. So these other scoring options for Alex Barcelo have really come out of the woodwork for men's basketball. Tijon Lucas was a bit quieter, but he still had six assists. Just really exciting to see what the men's team is doing with so many different pieces and how they're kind of, it's kind of an improvised sense of, it's, it's kind of a sense of improvisation among the men's team. Totally. Playing without a hardware, playing without Baxter, kind of everybody filling in, flying all over the place, trying to get their role. So, so for them to hit the three ball as well as they did, just a lot of good things happen when you can hit your threes and hit them early like BYU did. Yeah, no, totally. And there, that reminds me of a comment that Mark Pope made before the Creighton game, which was, we don't even know who we are, so it's going to be hard for them to know who we are, which was worrisome that week, that weekend because obviously they lost. Um, yeah. And then we kind of asked ourselves, okay, does is this BYU team going to figure out who it actually is anytime soon? Um, and it's still kind of in flux, like you mentioned, right? There's, there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of improvisation, figuring some things out on the fly. Um, but I was just looking at some stats on a team looking ahead to that as you mentioned, the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic in Honolulu playing USF. Um, I was just checking out the stats for the team. Alex Barcelo obviously leading the team with 19.7 points per game. Uh, Tijon Lucas leading the team with five assists per game. But can you guess who's leading the team in rebounding right now? It's not Loner. Not Loner. It's not Loner. I'm going to guess that it is Seneca Knight. It is not. It is Gideon George. 7.3 rebounds per game which was, has obviously been helped out by a couple outlier games that he's had where he had the, he had a couple, they had the double double early in the season where he grabbed like something like 15 rebounds or something. Um, and so that, you know, that helps, but I, that was surprising to me, you know, as we talk about smaller sample size too, because he played, he's missed two games for sure. Missed some games. Right. But as we talk about this, you know, this team who's missing their big men, right. Who would usually be doing the rebounding Baxter and Harward um, who, who steps into that into that role as kind of making sure that the paint is still under control for BYU. And I think, as we've said all year, Gideon George has been super underrated um, for his impact that doesn't really always show up on the stat sheet. Deflections on defense, his length, his size that helps out on both ends of the floor. And I think that's just a testament that he's leading the fact they're leading the team in rebounding. This just goes to say once again that he's a pretty underrated member of this team. Yeah, a thousand percent correct. They're kind of what Lauren Gustin does for the women's team where all of her contributions aren't exactly showing up in the stat sheet. That's what Gideon is doing for the men's team. And you saw that when they played UVU 
and yeah. he stayed back with an illness. You know, that athleticism that he has on defense, you kind of take for granted when you watch it. When it's not there, you notice. Yeah. So really important aspect to, to BYU's defensive game, Gideon George. And just real quick before I move on, I have two more takeaways from the game. Do you think Foose slides into the starting five star by the end of the season? Yeah. I, I would I, think, I think so, so well. well. And I thought it was interesting. Um, so Atiki started against Weber State, right? And I'm curious, yeah. what we, and we had talked about that potentially happening the week before because of the size issue and not having the, the typical center of five, right? And to play against those, these bigger teams, you know, once we get in w, WCC play as well with, you know, team like Gonzaga, Atiki's going to have to grow up a lot. So I'm curious, what, what were your thoughts on Atiki in his first start? You know, to be totally honest, I didn't really notice him on in that game. I, I, I don't really remember him doing that much. Uh, he played 10 minutes total, three boards, two points. So I think that was more of a matchup thing early. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't work out, which slides me into my next takeaway from the game, which was Caleb Lohner. Um, Caleb Lohner had been a breakout game as a big man down low, you know, playing as in, in place of Gavin Baxter. He's kind of been the poster child for BYU players having to move all over the court and do a lot of different things they're not used to uh, with all these injuries. And we've kind of ripped on Caleb for his offensive game. He doesn't really have a bag to go into, doesn't really have any signature moves. He's just kind of a very strong get up, undersized, just get boards, play defense, um, make the most of whatever situation you're in. And he had a pretty tough matchup. Their big was was it they had, it was a decent matchup with their big um they were talking some trash during the game so things were getting heated but you know Caleb played some really good defense down low and he showed some flashes on offense where you're like okay like this kid can really get it done down low he's maybe he's finding his role on this BYU team which if Caleb Loner can find his if Caleb Loner can find his role for BYU men's basketball they can go so far they just gotta find out what he does and <laughs> What does Chunky do? <laughs> what does Chunky do? And, you know, Caleb Lohner, I think you figured it out against Weber. You saw that a little bit. And Coach Pope was singing his praises after the game. Um, we'll, we'll find out more of what, what Caleb Lohner can do against USF Wednesday evening. But was really excited to see what, what Caleb did down low. Um, let me pull. I think he finished with eight points, six boards. Let me check the box. I think it was eight boards. I just checked. Eight boards. Eight boards, okay. Yeah, and six points. Did I get a flip or? Uh, let me double check. Nine points. Nine points. Eight boards. Yeah, which is solid. Four fouls, which has kind of been an issue all season for him. Yeah, that's he's gonna flirt with disaster there, but yeah, as long as it doesn't cost him games, I don't, yeah. don't care. So yeah, and and you know, I think the foul trouble is gonna keep coming as he learns how to defend bigger guys. Yeah. Um, it's a much more physical position down low, and he's gonna have those. And I think Pope would rather him learn by trial and error through picking up these fouls then ask him to play too conservative and give up more points so yeah Caleb Lohner really impressive and really just relieving from for if that was BYU's get right game Caleb Lohner was a big aspect of that in finding the role that he needed so that's my third takeaway fourth takeaway um obviously you didn't get to watch the game I did I had the ESPN plus broadcast it was a CBS sports network on the call for CBS Sports Network was former BYU assistant Tim Lacombe. One of, oh, very nice. One of Dave Rose's old assistants and one of my personal favorites. I got to talk to him a bit my first year on the beat. 
and great guy, great coach, great basketball mind. And he is phenomenal as a color commentator. He did so he did a great job. I mean, he's always been a fun guy to talk to. So hearing him on the mic was a nice surprise and uh, a pleasant surprise. You know, he was he was really good at what he did, and it just reminded me that he's, you know, as as great as BYU TV's broadcasts are, uh, Blaine Fowler should not be calling basketball. <laughs> he he blew Blaine out of the water. Uh, I think Blaine will be the first guy to tell you he's a football guy. So Tim Lacombe, great great job as a color commentator. That's my fourth takeaway. Tim Lacombe should be going places as a as a broadcaster. So. Those are my yeah. four takeaways. The get right game for BYU, the three-point shooting, Caleb Lohner and Tim Lacombe. So beautiful. There you go. The, the Weaver State wrap up. <laughs> no, that, that's that's on point. I, if I'm not mistaken, too, Tim is a big uh, he 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 plays guitar, I think, and he's like he's really into rock. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. And music, music he, in general, probably. But he, yeah, he's a hard rock guy for sure. Yeah. I think he uh, he and Duff Tittle, they go they go back and forth on Twitter about certain bands. I know my dad went and coached. He was he was coaching at BYU uh, basketball camp a few years ago when my brother went, and I think that was right before Rose's last year. So he got to be buddies with Lacombe, and they would talk music too. But yeah, Tim Lacombe, great job. If you're watching this, Tim, I don't know why you are, <laughs> but great job on the mic. Hope you keep getting jobs and uh, go places because you, you you showed a lot of promise there. Dang, that's awesome. We should we we should do like a, a list sometime of either former or current BYU players or assistants who we think could make good or even coaches who we think could make good media personalities <laughs> you know and now when we, when we went to usc they their press box it's an nfl press box clearly the rams were just there really yeah. impressive press area but on the wall they had this just like super impressive wall of fame it was all their former football players who had become uh sports commentators so you had matt liner one of the greatest college quarterbacks ever he's on Fox's uh, college, kind of their college game day thing. Yeah. Lynn Swan did the Olympics. He's an ABC sports guy. Reggie Bush, you know, so just really impressive list. And then you look at what BYU did. You have Riley Nelson, Mitchell Jurgens, uh, David Nixon. Well, I mean, Tyler Haas. Tyler Haas, decent players at BYU. Not, nothing too special. Riley Nelson actually was one of my. Some of my first memories at BYU were Riley Nelson doing whatever it took to win football games and having the coolest hair for a BYU quarterback ever. So can't can't knock on him too much. But it's just when you look out the media people that BYU has put into the conversation, yeah, and then Blaine Fowler, just a backup quarterback with like six career pass attempts. However, however, it's pretty, it's pretty I, embarrassing. I, I did also point it out we have Steve Young and Trevor Maddich. So Steve Young and Maddich. So that's yeah. Yeah, we got some, right? And a national champ. So yeah, we're not we're not doing terrible, but yeah, compared to compared to that USC just wall of flex right there, it was like oof. We <laughs> I'm gonna need Tyler Algier to be a commentator and save some face for us. But I feel like Te- Tegan's probably for sure gonna do color commentary for women's basketball. Mm, she's good, and especially because she's staying. Wait, I think. No, she's not going to stay another year, but she should definitely do commentary. <laughs> yeah, she do. And, you know, I, I, I feel bad I didn't get her name. Jerem Jordan was on the call. He was doing play-by-play for the women's game. He did a great job. Um, I don't know if Greg should be worried about his job yet, but Jerem's definitely a worthy replacement should the day come someday. But whoever doing color for the women's game, I feel bad because I totally didn't get the name. She did a great job. Newer stuff, great delivery, great poise. Um, I've been really impressed by the women's games that I've seen from a broadcasting perspective. So, you know, if you're not, if that's, if just watch the women's games, people, you'll get, you'll learn a lot about basketball. You watch some good ball. 
and they're going to win games. It's going to be fun to watch. So watch women's basketball. So uh, looking ahead, you also, you already mentioned with the men, they've got the, uh, the diamond head classic and then they come back to play Westminster in Provo Uh, for the women. They're playing Montana state tomorrow. Um, And then, then they start conference play. So uh, we're kind of at that point of football over um, until spring ball. But basketball, we're kind of uh, right, in, right in the thick of it as we have these last couple games before conference play. Um, one thing that you uh, look forward to for listeners slash viewers, uh, next week we're going to be putting together a little bit of a year-end list um, of, you know, kind of top moments, top games from from uh, the various BYU sports in 2021. Uh, crazy that we're already like less than two weeks from 2022. doesn't quite feel right, but <laughs> here we Black. are. <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's a bit whack so where do you think uh where do you think Taysom's performance last night will rank on that that list Ooh. Ooh, How yeah. about that? that was that was the that was an interesting game um great for my fantasy season Taysom Hill beat, how did Taysom Hill beat Tom Brady it was fantastic what on earth? it was like best case scenario for my fantasy season because I had the Saints defense and I was going against Tom Brady so it was literally it was just like chef's kiss <laughs> That's clutch. Yeah. That was, I think Brady's first shutout in 15 years. Yeah. And Taysom Hill's playing on the other side of the ball. Just insane. Just, just th- three, three field goals is all you need. <laughs> so now we have a question. We, this is the second time this has happened. So Taysom Hill with the win last night is the second ever undrafted former BYU quarterback to beat a defending Super Bowl champion. Who's the first? Quarterback? Quarterback. Uh, Starting quarterback. Uh, I have no idea. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a hint. He beat the Saints. The Saints won. So he beat Drew Brees the year after the Saints won in um, 2010, I want to say. John Beck? I don't know. No. John Beck, zero career victories. Ma- Max Hall. Started. Who else is? Max Hall. Max <laughs> Max Hall got his one career win against Drew Brees on Sunday Night Football. Not bad. Not bad. Or it was either Monday Night or Sunday Night. I remember because I watched the game. I remember yeah. seeing it as a kid. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Max Hall, Taysom Hill, congratulations. Two undrafted BYU quarterbacks to beat defending Super Bowl champions. Kind of a weird stat. Yeah. Uh, didn't, didn't think it would happen twice. But, and you know, Taysom, for his credit, wasn't that great yesterday. <laughs> uh, but – he didn't have to be. He did. He did what he needed to do to get the win, which was getting field goal range three times. So, yep. <laughs> congrats to Taysom. Five career wins as a Saints starter, putting them in the NFC playoff picture at seven and seven. That'd be a great story if he, being their third option at quarterback, not winning the starting job out of camp, getting beat out by Jameis Winston. Winston gets hurt, but he gets passed over. Trevor Simeon starts again, and then he sucks, and so Taysom hops in. If Taysom Hill somehow gets them in the playoffs down the stretch, that's a great story. So hope you get to get it done, but I hope it doesn't come at the expense of my Washington football team. So ah, and Dax Mill. Ah, there's sure. uh, there's two sides to every coin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so uh, sh- shout out to Taysom. Hopefully, yeah, you can get a get a couple more of those wins. Um, Cougars and the pros in general. Um, Zach, um, a little bit better this week, but um, you know still. First what? Sorry. First half. 
Yeah, first half, right? Exactly. Second score. <laughs> yeah, um, and then if, I mean, like you mentioned before, the de- the defense, defensive players from BYU, really still showing up. Um, Van Noy is going to be playing in the playoffs with New England. Um, Sorensen, Sorensen had a pass breakup in the end zone that was on the play that um, that Chargers player got injured on, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, the celebration was uh, was a bit distasteful, but yeah. they don't call him Dirty Dan for nothing, you know. They don't call him Dirty Dan for nothing. There you go. Yeah, Dan Sorensen doing just enough to stay in the league as long as he has and take all the money that he has. Good, good for you, Dan. Uh, Inspiration, uh, all the unathletic white guys out there like me. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, look forward to that uh, another another podcast next week with some of the send in some of your suggestions um, if you have ideas for or some of your favorite moments from the year for BYU sports. They were a lot. Uh, great year for great year in Provo. Great year for the Cougars. So it uh, should be a fun one as we kind of break a little bit of that down and uh, kind of put a bow on 2021. So until then. Sir. Until then, have everyone have a Merry Christmas. Yeah. Hope that uh, Santa brings you lots of BYU dubs this week for basketball. <laughs> exactly. Catch uh, you all later. Peace out.